This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. And we're live this afternoon at the Calgary Stampede for Community Day, 974-8255. So starting tomorrow in Brussels, uh, presidents and prime ministers from the 29 member nations of NATO will be gathering for a summit, which I think is really kind of at a crossroads here, this organization. What kind of a future does it have? Uh, obviously, we've got a president of the United States right now who, who has a rather dim view of this alliance. I think Donald Trump seems to have a, a real distrust of any kind of uh, international organization or agreement that the U.S. is party to, that they're all somehow unfair to the U.S. Uh, and he's been sending some troubling singles, uh, signals uh, about NATO. In fact, uh, the president even tweeted today, many countries in NATO which we are expected to defend are not only short of their current commitment of 2%, which is low, but are also delinquent for many years in payments that have not been made. Will they reimburse the U.S.? Which is a strange statement for a number of reasons. There, there are no payments that are made. There is a commitment on NATO members to spend 2% uh, of their GDP uh, on defense. But it's a, a target over the next decade for member nations to get to that point if they're not already at it. I mean, the U.S. doesn't spend 4% of its GDP on, on defense to, as a favor to NATO. They do so because it's in their interest. The U.S. has a presence in Europe, not because they're doing anybody favors, but it's because it's in their interest. It's been in line with U.S. foreign policy literally for decades now. That's why they're there. But there is a big difference between spending on NATO and NATO missions and spending on the military. We could spend a lot more on NATO missions if we simply diverted from, from other defense spending without necessarily increasing defense spending. Uh, now, Canada is increasing its defense spending. It doesn't seem as though there's a timetable for us to get to that, that 2% number. Uh, but the prime minister who is in Latvia, where, of course, Canadian troops are there, is part of a NATO mission in Latvia. Uh, he was asked about this today. A couple of clips from the prime minister here. This one in regards to this 2% target. Now, Trudeau says that that 2% target is a real limited tool when it comes to measuring any country's commitment to NATO. We have committed to increase by 70% over the coming uh, 10 years, our, uh, our, our defence spending. And that's a significant increase. Uh, but no, there are no plans to double our defence budget. And when it comes to uh, leadership in NATO, the importance of NATO which Trudeau says Canada has demonstrated, continues to, to demonstrate. When you look at it through that lens, our commitment to NATO, he says that that's, that's a lot more important than the 2% target. More important metrics are always uh, you know, do our countries stepping up consistently with uh, the capacities that NATO needs. Are we uh, leading in different opportunities? Are we contributing uh, the kinds of resources and demonstrating the commitment to the alliance that uh, always needs to be there? So certainly from Canadian perspective, I think NATO matters. NATO is important, and I think we uh, have a reason to be concerned uh, about NATO's future. So how important is this alliance, and how important is this summit? Joining us uh, for kind of an overview of where things are at, very pleased to welcome the program, uh, Colin Robertson. He is uh, Vice President and Fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, a veteran diplomat himself. Mr. Robertson, thank you for joining us here. Welcome to the program. 
Good to be with you, Rob. Uh, let's start with kind of an overview of, of where NATO is at right now. I mean, obviously, NATO emerged in the Cold War, and it was an important counterweight to, to the Soviet Union. Do you believe NATO is still relevant today? I do. I think that next year it celebrates 70 years, and those 70 years have largely kept the peace, particularly in Europe. It brought the European countries together. The expansion after, uh, arguably, NATO was, was vital in helping us conclude the Cold War uh, peacefully, and following the end of the Cold War in 1992, we all took a sort of peace dividend, and that's when people began to reduce uh, defense expenditures. At the same time, NATO enlarged to uh, growing from sort of 13, 14 countries to its current 29. Those new countries, almost all of them former members of the Warsaw Pact, that is the the, the Soviet Union's uh, defensive alliance, and they're there by choice, not because they're compelled, but because. They, particularly those on the eastern edge, the ones that border Russia, are fearful of Russian aggression. And that holds true particularly for the Baltics, and that, of course, is why the Prime Minister is in Latvia today, because a couple of years ago, after the Russian invasion of, of uh, the Ukraine and occupation of Crimea, there was an agreement that NATO would forward base troop contingents in the three Baltic countries, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, as well as in Poland. And Canada agreed to lead the battalion, the forward group in uh, Latvia. And in fact, today the Prime Minister has announced that the uh, uh, we're going to prolong our stay there. We were committed to stay till 2019, and now we're going to stay till 2023. And what that means in practical sense is there's about 450 Canadian uh, members of the Canadian forces, almost all from the Army, there just simply acting as a deterrent and, and working in exercises of which they've just conducted a couple to just remind the Soviets that they act as a kind of tripwire that if the Soviets ever came across, the whole principle of NATO is that all for one and one for all. This is their, their Article 5, which says that an attack on one nation is an attack on them all. It's only been invoked once. That was after 9-11, and that's what took Canada and most of the other alliance into Afghanistan. But the fact that it is there acts as a deterrent and that's part of the argument for NATO even today. Right. So there are certainly uh, European countries, NATO members, that, that for whom Russian aggression is a very real and, and present risk and threat. And so we're hearing a lot of concern from the Europeans, certainly from a Russian perspective, that they have to be happy if there's division within NATO, if there's questions uh, around NATO's future, that that plays into their hands, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that's why the most ardent backers of of, of that piece of NATO which says we're going to have forward deployment are, of course, those countries that are on the uh, the border with, uh, with Russia. And again, it's not just Ukraine, but also Georgia and uh, East Ossia that the, the Russians have made incursions in. And, and Russians, of course, Russia is held responsible for use of uh, new forms of warfare, as the U.S. intelligence agencies have, have concluded the U.S., uh, was interfered with by Russia in its 2016 election process, and there's certainly been evidence to suggest that, that agents within Russia, probably inspired from official side, have uh, have interfered in European elections uh, as well. And so this is a new form of warfare. In fact, there's a center for hybrid warfare and for cyber uh, centers for excellence in Helsinki and in uh, Tallinn. Uh, and I think you know Canada should probably think about joining these things because this is the new form of of uh, of threat in a way. 
Well, and, and of course, in addition to this this Brussels summit, we have uh, the summit coming up between Trump and, and Russian President Vladimir Putin. I wonder maybe if, in some ways that's more important. I mean, if the U.S. is prepared to recognize uh, the Russian occupation of Crimea, if that potentially encourages Russia to, to set its sights elsewhere, and if the U.S. commitment to NATO is in doubt, I mean, what, what does that all add up to, do you think? Well, the President Trump may have views on the occupation of Crimea, but so would the Congress, and, uh, and, and that would probably provoke some sort of a constitutional uh, dispute in the United States, because I don't think you'd find the Congress supportive of the Russian occupation, wherever Mr. Trump might be, nor would the leading members of his cabinet, his chief of staff, of course, is a former uh, senior officer general in the uh, U.S. forces, as his, his defense secretary, uh, Jim Mattis. So I think that that would be a big leap. But certainly there is a lot of concern about what Donald Trump might offer to Vladimir Putin when they meet next week in Helsinki. Um, on the other hand, it is good that the President of the United States is sitting down with the Russian president, just as he sat down recently with Kim Jong-un, because Churchill said, jaw, jaw is always better than war, war, and you're far better to engage your adversaries than to... Uh, what we saw last year, particularly the case of Korea, was the fire and fury and rocket man, the insults that go back and forth, which, if they got out of hand, could be dangerous even to Canadians, because North Korea now, of course, has the capacity to send a missile to continental U.S., which would now include Canada, with a nuclear warhead. Um, but regarding what the president has said about the U.S. carrying the burden, I mean, his point about NATO payments seems a little nonsensical, but, but underneath it all, there is a valid point, isn't there, that the U.S. certainly has carried the burden in this alliance? Yeah, there's no doubt that the U.S. has, has shouldered. Uh, and, and if you look at NATO expenditures, while the U.S. has assessed 22% of the cost which they pay, in fact, overall defense expenditures, the, the U.S., has paid up to 75%. Currently, they pay about two-thirds of, of total defense expenditures. We essentially rely upon the American defense umbrella, both we in Canada and the European Alliance, uh, for to make globalization possible. It's essentially the, the U.S. Navy that patrols the sea lanes that were once patrolled by the Royal Navy in another century. So the, the U.S. has been the guardian, and Mr. Trump, of course, looks at things very differently than his predecessors, his predecessors all saw the alliance as a net advantage and well worth the investment. Russians don't have much of an alliance. The Chinese don't have really an alliance. They And they both would look at what the U.S. has created in NATO as a huge asset to the United States. And that's certainly how the U.S. security and defense establishment views NATO and the U.S. partnerships with countries like Australia, Japan, and, and New Zealand. So but Mr. Trump tends to look at it purely in dollars and cents and says, we're paying so much, they should pay more. And, of course, he takes this attitude on trade as well. And that's led to, as we know, uh, significant discord within the alliance and within U.S. trading partners. And, of course, Canada is dealing the, uh, the, the, the result of that with the... Uh, uh, protectionist uh, challenges that we're facing for the United States on steel and aluminum uh, and on softwood lumber as an example. 
Right. Now, we are increasing our, our spending on defense, but it, we're, we're not likely to get to this, this 2% of GDP target within a decade uh, unless we were to seriously uh, go above and beyond what we're already doing. But what do you make of, of the prime minister's argument that, you know, we need to look more through the lens of commitment to NATO and the amount we're devoting to NATO-related missions as a, as a better measure of our commitment to the alliance? Is there something to that, do you think? Yes. I'm, Rob, I think the prime minister is right. I think you, the, the metric you if you simply look at the metrics, the Greeks would be up at 2%, but the Greeks basically use it as an employment scheme, and the Greeks don't participate in any of the forward planning missions. Canada is right at the sharp end. We are the preferred partner of the United States. Our interoperability on land, sea, and air, particularly our frigates, which do escort duty with American carriers, this puts us right up there, which is where the Americans would like us. They would just simply like us to do more. And keep in mind, it's not just President Trump... As obnoxious as he is, he's essentially saying what previous presidents have also said. President Obama, for example, when he was in Canada for the Three Amigos of the Senate, uh, spoke to Canadian Parliament and said not once, not twice, but three times that NATO needs more Canada. So we have been encouraged, really, for the last 25 years to try and meet that target, which was set in 2000. And it's, 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 it's precise terms, it's a guideline. So it's not a firm commitment, and the guideline was made uh, in 2000, confirmed at the Wales Summit, similar to this Brussels Summit uh, that's taking place tomorrow in 2014, and the, it's aspirational. It was, the, the Allies were to meet this, tar, this guideline by 2024. We could do it, and I think it would, we would, but we would do it because we wanted to do it for Canadian sovereignty reasons. Of course, we've got three oceans. We've got the biggest coastline in the world. There, there are good arguments as to why Canada might want to do this and, of course, invest it as we want to do it. For example, defense of the north, hospital ships, things that made sense from a Canadian perspective, increase the number of reserves because it provides youth employment and a sense of civics. So there, there, there are reasons why we might choose to do that, but we wouldn't do it just because Mr. Trump tells us to do it. Well, it's going to be an interesting few days. Uh, much more at cgai.ca. Colin, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really Thanks, appreciate Rob. this. Take care. Uh, that is Colin Robertson, a veteran diplomat. He is a uh, vice president and fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, cgai.ca. And that, I mean, every country, U.S., Canada, all the rest, I mean, you got to look through this through the lens of your own foreign policy concerns and interests. And from a Canadian perspective, uh, the NATO alliance has been very valuable. And so we have a vested interest uh, in maintaining this alliance. I think the Americans do, too, right? I mean, the American presence in Europe has been because of American interests and American foreign policy. There's a lot of U.S. military presence in Europe that has nothing to do with NATO. I mean, it's there because the U.S. decided that it's in its interest to be there. So if, if this president or future president decides that that's no longer in the uh, U.S. interest, then, then so be it. I guess that's, that's their decision to make. So does this president value NATO? And the point he made about Greece as well is, is an interesting one because, sure, we, we could probably monkey with the numbers a little bit. We could even ramp up spending on defense. But if it's all domestic spending, if we're just putting troops uh, along our coastlines and, and doing all that, that kind of thing, we're not really committing to NATO. So the 2% becomes kind of meaningless. So is the president saying this because he wants to see the alliance thrive and he wants the members to, to help make it viable? Or is he just saying this as, as a way of sowing discords? and creating division around an alliance that he doesn't really care for. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.